Welcome to the Cascade Church Portland podcast. We're a church that works to be both safe to be and safe to grow through our commitment to intentionality, diversity, curiosity, prayer, and advocacy. Enjoy! Let's talk about prayer. So, we kicked off last week a new message series called Contemplative Practices, a study of prayer, uh, because we want to talk about prayer. And to get started this morning, I wanted to share some of the most significant prayer experiences of my life, Um, because in reflecting on them, it kind of exposed a lot about what I thought about prayer and what prayer was. So when I was 18 years old, I worked at a Christian youth camp, which is just as wild as it sounds. Um, So we were in the Santa Cruz Mountains, and we would have 10 weeks of working. There's a staff of about 60 of us. It's actually where I met my wife, um, which it was with the Covenant Church, it's the denomination, and its nickname was the Covenant Breeding Grounds. Um, (laughs) A lot of people got married that worked there together. Um, And you get really close with these other people because when you're on a week of camp, uh, camp started at noon on Sunday, that's when parents would come, we do welcome, a whole week of camp, and at 10 a.m. on Saturday, kids would go home. You would have... 24 hours off, and then you'd be back on again. So you saw these 60 people every single day, every hour of every day, and you got incredibly close. Um, And a friend of mine there, uh, probably about the sixth week of camp, um, he started urinating blood out of nowhere. He hadn't had like a traumatic injury or something, and it was really scary, and he had to go home. Um, And so he went back home for two days. It, It didn't stop. It continued. And we had planned, there's a group of us that we were planning on going back to the town that he was from. It's also the town that I was from that weekend. And so we went and we saw him, we visited with him, and we uh, laid hands on him and prayed with him. So if you grew up in the church, you might be familiar with this. If you're not, it's where you have some sort of prayer, something where you're asking something to happen, and you are physically touching the person, hoping that, that this is bringing about like the touch of God, the presence of God. And we prayed for him to be healed. And um, at that time, I remember when we said amen and I walked away, I was certain he was healed. I knew that he would not have any more issues urinating blood again. He was going to come back to camp. That was on Saturday. He would be back on Sunday, maybe Monday at the latest. And we got a call from him. He had to, to stay another day. But from that point, before the last time he had gone to the bath, he had urinated blood, it never happened again after that point. And so for me and for the group of the four other people, this was confirmation of the power of God and the power of prayer. This is how prayer works. You pray for someone, you lay hands on them, they're healed. And it was invigorating and exciting. We went back to camp and we were even more excited to serve and be in this camp. Now, fast forward to a number of years. From working at that camp, I became a youth pastor. Um, And when I was a youth pastor, one of the first relationships I made was um, I I came to the church, and I met a young girl at that point. She was 16 years old, and she had just come back home from living up at Dorenbecker, the children's hospital, because she had leukemia. Um, And she had gone through chemo. um, She had had this long season, and it was in remission. And so I met her, got to know her, and um, the leukemia came back. And we were devastated. Uh, It's hard when you hear that 
um, for anyone, but certainly for someone who's at that point 17 years old. And her father told me, hey, the last time everyone got really excited at the beginning, but they kind of lost touch with her over time. And so I had committed myself, all right, I'm not going to lose touch. We're going to bring people up. We're going to be present. And we did for the next year and a half as she went through chemo again. Um, one day during the week, I snuck my miniature wiener dog in a bag into the hospital. It was totally forbidden, but she loved dogs, and this felt like a good idea. And Beanie was very quiet, very polite. <laughs> snuck my dog in. We would draw pictures. We'd go down to the art room. We would bring people up. We would have parties in the room. Um, and she continued to get sicker. It came back, and we would continue to pray, just like we had done for my friend Trevor all those years before. And I remember feeling certain, of course she's going to be healed. An 18-year-old girl with leukemia, with all of these fervent, faithful people praying for her, of course she's going to be healed. It was the same certainty that I felt when we had laid hands on my friend before. I was leading a mission trip in uh, Kenya, in Africa, when we got word that she had passed. Um, that leukemia had ultimately taken her life. And I remember being devastated and thinking, what's the point? Why pray? I mean, at this point in my life, these big things that I felt I prayed for that I really remembered, 500, that's the best we can do. Half the time it works, half the time it doesn't. What's even the point? And I reached a stage in my prayer life where I said, it's not working. Um, and that's caused me to reflect a lot on how we think of prayer and how we engage prayer. What's supposed to work in prayer? What is that work that's supposed to happen? Because um, if we engage in it in this way where we basically step up to the lottery machine of God and pull the wheel and we say it works if we get what we want, if it doesn't come out that way, well, then it's not working and what's the point? It exposes our relationship to prayer on what prayer is supposed to be. And while I think that's certainly an aspect of prayer, I know that's a way that many people still continue to pray, and I encourage you to pray that way. It does lead to, to more questions on how are we engaging prayer and what is prayer supposed to be. So this morning what we want to do is we want to look at four different passages from the scriptures. And these are prayers that we find in the Bible. And to say, what are these prayers, what are they showing us, what could they teach us about the, the nature of prayer and how prayer is kind of used by different people in different ways? Um, I actually want to stop for a moment and pray now as we continue. God, I know that um, my story is, is not just my own. But God, there's a number of prayers in this room that were prayed, prayed in God. Um, they went unanswered. And God, the way that we wanted them to be answered. And God, ways that we felt like were kind and generous and loving. And so God, when we think about prayer or when we're invited into a time of prayer, um, God, we can have so many barriers and resistances. And so God, I pray that we would be able to see you, God, to see prayer with new eyes this morning. And God, that would ultimately be led by you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. 
So if you have a Bible with you, great. We're going to be looking at, we're going to kind of be jumping around. Uh, if not, don't worry, the, the scripture will be up on the screen. Uh, the first thing we're going to look at is 1 Chronicles 4, 9, and 10. If you grew up in the church in the 90s, I'm talking prayer of Jabez. Woo! So uh, this is it. Uh, if, if you knew like the whole book by Bruce Wilkerson, this is what the book is, is based off of. Um, Jabez was more honorable than his brothers. His mother had given him the name Jabez, saying, I gave birth to him in pain. Jabez cried out to the God of Israel, Oh, that you would bless me and enlarge my territory. Let your hand be with me and keep me from harm so that I will be free from pain. And God granted his request. A couple of things that are interesting, Jabez, and, and you see this a lot in scriptures, the words literally translate to something. Um, and Jabez literally translates to pain, um, which is kind of fun. <laughs> it's like, that was a painful birth. What should we name him? I'm thinking one thing right now. <laughs> pain. Um, it also feels like a real Mr. T situation, right? <laughs> um, so what's interesting about this prayer and how the prayer of Jabez got used and it was pushed out, it was like, it was a part of this name it and claim it thing. That ultimately, this is what God wants. God wants to enlarge your territory, which became shorthand for more money, more success, more things. And ultimately, if you pray this prayer, you can get it. God wants to give it to you. Why aren't you praying for it? What I think this prayer can help illustrate for, for us as we look to it is one, understanding the context. That this is someone in incredible pain, praying for a release from that. It wasn't like, I'm doing pretty good, but I'd really like to take it up a notch, God. This was a, a release of pain, of suffering. And I think the first thing that prayer is for is that prayer is the place where we dream. Prayer is the place where we say, the world that we live in, and I think this is something that should be universal to all Christians. Ultimately, the first message that Jesus ever preached, and many people debate, but would say it's kind of the core of every message of Jesus, is Jesus was talking about the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. His first message is the kingdom of God is near. It's almost here. It's not yet, but it's here and it's coming. And the kingdom of God, that language might seem strange to us, but when they lived in kingdoms in that time, they were saying, what would a kingdom look like if God was in charge? What would a kingdom look like if God was ruling over everyone? And you can see that this is the kind of place where there'd be the mutual thriving of all people, that all people are allowed to become who they were created to be, and no one's thriving comes at the expense of someone else's thriving. In that, Christians would probably agree as we look over our world today, we're not there yet. We're not in the kingdom of God. And so Christians should be the people that are dreaming and striving and saying, we're not there yet. There's more for us. We were created for more than this. And our contributors of prayer that our dreams would actually move us to action. How do we start contributing to the peaceful thriving of all people, the way that God created us for and the way that God moved us? We're not going to know where to go if we don't dream about what could be. Does that make sense? A lot of times our prayers are very focused on the world that we currently exist in. 
and we're trying to make small modifications to the world that we're already in or to our circumstances that we're already in. What's beautiful about the prayer of Jabez is like, no, bigger than that. God wants something bigger than that for me, than this suffering, this place. And I think for Christians, it's a great place to go in prayer. Is prayer is the place where we have permission to dream. What could the world look like? What should the world look like? And then what's key is, and that's not it, but prayer is the starting place for us to become activated and active in the world and to seeing things improve for everyone around us, to seeing it become more this kingdom of God for all people. Now I want to go to um, the favorite, my favorite book of the Bible to say, Habakkuk. Um, you can whisper it under your, if you want to. It's so fun to say, Habakkuk. All right, Habakkuk 1, 2 through 4. How long, Lord, must I call for help? but you do not listen, or cry out to you violence, but you do not save. Why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrongdoing? Destruction and violence are before me. There is strife and conflict abounds. Therefore, the law is paralyzed and justice never prevails. The wicked hem in the righteous so that justice is perverted. You see these prayers a lot in the Bible. In Psalms and Lamentations, these crying out, how long, God? Um, which is beautiful to see that these prayers are with us always. That the circumstances aren't such that people are like, things are not okay, but God, they're going to get better. That there is this relationship with God where we continue to bring our despair to God. And God is a part of the despair. God hears the despair. God is with us in the despair. That prayers are also the place where we despair. We dream for a better future, but we also acknowledge the pain and the hardship that we're in. One of the, the problems in the church today is a lot of our current um, function, our, our current forms of service is all happy and joyful and like it may be hard, but you shuffle that pain deep down because we're smiling here. It's time for happy church, right? And we talk about what God has done and what God is doing, but that's not evident throughout scripture. The Bible and prayer is a place for real pain and real despair. We get in touch with it. And in our culture, we are the masters, maybe the best that have ever existed in the history of humanity at avoiding any kind of pain to not talking about it, to not putting ourselves in touch with it. And instead, while we dream for a better future, we also acknowledge what is and the pain and the difficulty of that, that God meets us there, that avoidance doesn't teach, tap us into who God is and what God is doing in the world, to say, I'm going to avoid the hard stuff, let's just pray for the good stuff, and that's going to be our path there. No, prayer is the place for despair. And if that is something that resonates with you, I would encourage you, there are so many great despairs and laments in the Bible to read through, to pray through, and lamentations. Job, there's a whole book. This is suffering and awfulness. And that's not to normalize it. That's not to say, well, that's clearly God's plan. No. Or that God is happy with suffering. Or, you know, God gives us suffering because ultimately, like, good things come from it. No. It's rather that we acknowledge the suffering that exists because God is relentless in working through suffering to bring out something better, 
that there is no amount of pain and suffering that becomes the end of the story. But because of that, so often Christians don't acknowledge the pain because we just want to get to the other side. We just want to get to the good stuff that could exist over there. That comes through pain. That comes through despair. That's a part of the process. Uh, The next, this is a a fairly famous one. Uh, We're looking in Luke, jumping to the New Testament. Luke 11, 1 through 4. One day Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of the disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as your kingdom come, disciples. He said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us and lead us not into temptation. Uh, There's usually like kind of longer versions, that version. There's different ones that people say, like repeat in church. Are you familiar with the Lord's Prayer? Um, And one thing to, to note here is if you're a little confused on the names or not familiar, the disciples, Jesus wasn't the only person with disciples, that all rabbis, all leaders and teachers had a group of disciples with them. And the precursor to Jesus that said, hey, Jesus is coming, was John, known as John the Baptist. And John the Baptist had lots of followers. And one of the things John was doing was teaching them how to pray. So the disciples were saying, hey, Jesus, you're a leader, you're a teacher. Teach us like John did. How do we pray? How do we engage? There's a lot kind of uh, loaded into this prayer, and it would take a lot more to unpack than we have time for this morning. The one thing I'll say, and we're going to talk about this again, is I don't think Jesus was giving us a paint-by-the-numbers version of prayer. (laughs) Just repeat this prayer, and you're good. You'll be covered. All the things you want will happen. I think a big part of this prayer is that prayer is a place for remembering. It's a place for remembrance. We come to pray to remember the larger story of God throughout history. Going back to despair and those laments, those laments have deep pain and sorrow. But in the midst of all the sorrow, it says, and you are God. And God, you will not stay in this place. We will not stay in this place. There is more than just suffering. So it's an acknowledgement of suffering, but it's also a remembering on the character of God. The character of God does not leave us in turmoil and pain and suffering forever. An important part of that in prayer is to remember. In this prayer, we're remembering who is God. God is a name. God is a person that's worthy of being hallowed, that we would worship, that this is a God that is worth our respect, our devotion. And that in that, God's remembering, reminding us that every day, if you've lived this far, God's shown up in some way every single day. That God is responsible for our daily bread, our sustenance, our survival. And in the midst of that, there's this this huge part we remember about the aspect of forgiveness. That I think a lot of us, I think this is a key point for empathy for all of us, which we need so much more in our world today. That I have done things to harm people around me, and other people have done things to harm me. How do we lead with forgiveness? How do we understand to receive forgiveness and extend forgiveness to others? Knowing that part of being us is harming ourselves and harming others. That God is calling us out of that. God is calling us. A huge part of this is being able to know and rely and rest in the nature of God. And I would add the true nature of God. Some of us go to prayer to remember but I don't know that we're remembering God 
or the trueness of God. I think we're trying to remember a God that used to exist or trying to remember a God we wished existed or a God that existed at another part in our story instead of saying, God, who are you and what are you doing in the midst of life today? So we know that God is good. We know that God loves us. We know that God is present with us, that there is no experience we can go through that God is not present in. These are the things we hold on to. These are the very few certainties I would say that we have about God and we go to remember, we go to remind ourselves. Last one that we want to look at this morning is Psalm 86. Um, Psalm 86, 11 to 16 says this. Teach me your way, Lord, that I may rely on your faithfulness. Give me an undivided heart that I may fear your name. I will praise you, Lord my God, with all my heart. I will glorify your name forever. For great is your love toward me. You have delivered me from the depths, from the realm of the dead. Arrogant foes are attacking me, O God. Ruthless people are trying to kill me. They have no regard for you. But you, Lord, are a compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. Turn to me and have mercy on me. Show your strength on behalf of your servant. Save me because I serve you just as my mother did. Uh, this is a prayer from David, and we see these throughout the Psalms. And you're like, gosh, David's real dramatic. No, he was literally being hunted and killed by Saul, who is a king. <laughs> when he talks about foes and enemies, and it actually happened later in the story with his son, Absalom, coming after him, that these were prayers of feeling this attack that was actually happening. And what I think is significant about the prayers of David is that prayer is a place where we go to surrender. In prayer, we understand if we say that there's a good God, a God who created all things, then there's a part of our lives and our circumstances where we're not served any longer by grabbing tighter hold, by trying to control our circumstances more and more, by trying to say, well, this is how it's going to go out, and if I plan this and I do this, this is how I'm going to get it to work out in my favor. And this idea is actually core in Alcoholics Anonymous. It's a huge part of everything. I mean, the first step is that my life is uncontrollable. The third step is I surrender. I let go of my will and my ability to hold on. And in AA, they use that higher power. I think it's a transferable truth and skill for all of us. At a certain point, we don't continue looking to our lives, thinking it's something that we have a hold on, we have control of, we're doing great, we're nailing it. And when things are going well, that's an easier place to live. But the slingshot and the pain of that is when things are going terribly, we tend to blame ourselves and hold ourselves accountable, that we are the ones that have created this. And if I just ramp up, if I just pull myself together more, if I just garner more oomph, I can pull myself out. But prayer is where we can acknowledge, God, ultimately, life and the circumstances aren't something I'm able to control. And if there's any individual in the universe that is worth surrendering this to, it's God. God in prayer is the place where we let go of the things we're holding so tightly to that um, either in our relationships and our outcomes, we're strangling these things in our lives. And what I mean by surrender, too, because I know surrender might be language that a lot of us are used to. It's not let go, let God. 
Uh, it's not like, well, I just, I don't do this thing anymore, and now God's going to take over, and everything's going to turn, and everything's going to be better. Uh, because that's still a form of control. I'm not letting go to surrender. I'm letting go because, well, God, it's your turn. Now, you do the things I want you to do. Uh, it reminds me of when <laughs> every once in a while when we're watching TV, my wife's like, I don't care, whatever you want to watch. I'm like, oh, sweet, whew, I got a tingle of power. And I'll turn something on. She's like, no, 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 not, not that. Okay, what about this? No. I'm like, who's really in control here? <laughs> I have the remote, but I don't have the remote. And I think that's some of our let go and let God. God, I don't want this remote anymore. You take it. No, not that. <laughs> well, not that thing either. I mean surrender where we stop trying to control everything and everybody. And we let go to say, ultimately, this world, this life is not something that we can exercise our control and dominion over. That's not what this is. And I surrender so that I can be healthy, so that I can be whole, and so I can become recalibrated over the things I'm called to be faithful towards. A couple other things uh, that I want to cover. Because we went through and kind of said, prayer is the place where we dream. How do we dream for what tomorrow could look like? What's a better world? What's the kind of world that we want to hand off to the next generation? Prayer is the place that we go to despair. Prayer is the place where we take real stock of the hard things and we sit in them, we acknowledge them, and we take them to God. Prayer is the place where we remember. We remember that history has a long arc and we see that God has been moving and has been active in that. And despair is never the place where the story stops. And last, prayer is the place where we surrender, where we recognize I'm not in control of everything. And I'm not going to try and hold on to it. Because ultimately, that holding on is like a weight I'm holding on to that's pulling me deeper and deeper into the water. In that, with those kind of ideas about prayer, I want to make sure that we don't confuse form with function. Uh, here's what I mean. Um, if you were to build a house, some, if you were having like a custom-built house for you, a good architect wouldn't say, what would a cool-looking house be? They would say, what kind of house do you need? What do you want to do in your house? If you want to have 18 kids, we should probably build more bedrooms. If you want to have a lot of parties, we should probably have like a big entertaining space and a big kitchen. Does that make sense? So we direct the form kind of follows the function. And a lot of times in our prayer life, we get confused the two, where the form and the function become the same thing. And we engage in the same kind of prayers. Maybe we use something like Acts, if you've ever heard that. We do adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication. Uh, it's like this little path that we do. And it's something that I prayed at for a long time. Acts can be a great way to pray. But at the end of the day, that's not the function of prayer. That's a form. That's a way that we pray. And so at times, I have to let go of that form so I can grab hold of the function of prayer. There's times where we need to sit in a quiet space and be in the dark and just me and God and I have a prayer closet. That's great. There's other times where you get in that prayer closet and it's just you. And you're like, prayer isn't working anymore. Why isn't this happening? Well, because we've held on to the form, but we've let go of the function. 
No longer are we connecting with God. We're just doing our ritualistic thing to try and do it. And so there's times where you just have to let go of your form. You need to stop doing the thing you've always done when it's not working anymore and try something new, try something different. Uh, last week, Connie, uh, who shared with us, and as a therapist, I love how she framed that all of kids are going through equilibrium and disequilibrium. Um, that there's times where you feel like children are like just doing well, and they're like, they're doing great in school, they're sleeping through the night, like this is awesome. And then you'll go through a stretch where you're like, what happened? Uh, childhood happened. And when I heard her, I wasn't just thinking of childhood, actually. I was like, uh, that just feels like my life. <laughs> we go through times where we're operating in certain spheres, and it's working well, and that's great. That's equilibrium. Yay! And then we go through times where none of those things that worked before still work. That's disequilibrium. And you know what disequilibrium leads us to? It's growth. That's how we grow and develop is we let go of the things that used to work so we can grab holds of the things that will work into the future. And I think that's really important in prayer. If you say prayer doesn't work, um, I'm curious if we're talking about form or function. Because I think prayer has immense value for all of us. There might be a form of prayer that needs to be let, let go of. The other thing is I think prayer is the space where our true self meets the true God. If you have two lines, you're like, this is kind of the, the sweet spot in the middle where our true self meets who God truly is. And at times when prayer isn't working for us, maybe some of the things that we're finding in the forms that we're doing is one of those forms is either causing us to pray to the untrue God, the God who just is going to listen and like, all right, well, sometimes we pray to God like he's a subcontractor. Like, this is my list of demands. And he's like, I don't know if I'll get to it today, but at some point, I'm like, all right, I'll come back tomorrow and keep checking on you, seeing how you're doing. That's a prayer. That's a form. But if we're not praying to who God actually is and how God has demonstrated God's self to be throughout time, we might be bringing our true self, but we may not be praying to the true God. And there's other times where maybe we're actually praying that there's a good God, this God is here, this God is in the midst of it all, but we're not showing up. A version of who we think we should be to enter into prayer is showing up. And we talked about it a little last week where we're using all this words and language where if anyone else were to hear you, they'd be like, who is that? Prayer should be the place for Honesty. Honesty. And there's certain prayer practices, certain prayer forms that take our honesty and strip it from us, where we talk in ways that we don't normally talk. If you've never screamed at God, maybe it's time to try. If you've ever just sat silent before God, maybe it's time to try. Because in relationships in place, my true self yells sometimes. And my true self has nothing to say sometimes. And sometimes my true self just wants to sit and be and do nothing but just look at the other person and creep them out endlessly. And other times, I'm like, this is too much. Can we go for a walk? Can we bring that same part to, to ask ourselves and to take stock and not say, well, I'm going to deny myself, put myself aside. Well, God, who are you? I'm going to pray to you in the way that you... We should take stock of where are we at today? 
Are you tired? Are you hungry? I mean, what's going on with yourself? Prayer is where you should be your most honest. What are you going to do in prayer that's going to surprise God? God's like, ooh, what's that? Come on. It's the place to be the most honest. It's the place to be the most vulnerable. It's the place to be our truest self. And so if there's aspects of our prayer life that aren't working, it can be a good question to say, am I, am I not praying to who God truly is? Have I gotten that distorted in some way? Or am I not being true to myself? At the end, I just want to encourage you to try. If I could like sum up this whole message series in prayer, try something, anything. Because what I found is in the times where, because of the stories that I had of healing and a healing not happening, and when I said prayer isn't working anymore, I was still praying through some of those times. And I would walk away in the days that I'd pray with greater clarity, with greater peace, and with greater presence in the actual world that I lived in. And sometimes the things that I asked for didn't happen. But to say that prayer wasn't working to ground me into who I was, into who God was, wasn't true. Something was happening. I wasn't acknowledging that thing that was happening. And so in that, to encourage you to get brave. And one of the ways that we do that is we're actually going to, we've been practicing last week a prayer practice of actually doing art and writing down. And we're going to try another one today. And so my, my hope is that you would be present to say, all right, what does this prayer practice look like? Um, some of you were looking at me very skeptically, and everything within me wanted to be like, so this is dance prayer. If everyone could stand up, <laughs> we're not. That's not it. But if I was mean, I would have. Okay. One of the, the prayer practices that I've learned that's been really helpful for me is a lot of time my prayer life that I was taught and was given was prayer is ultimately an exercise where all of your thoughts are going to come and you have to swat them aside so you can see God. Um, and one prayer practice I learned that was really helpful is to instead, every thought that came in about my schedule, my life, my detail, I would actually grab hold of it and acknowledge it. I have groceries to buy today. And then I'd let go of it. Sit open. See what comes next. Whatever thought came next. Yep, I'm anxious about all the things I have to do today. Yep, let go of it and see what comes up next. And this is a prayer practice where we use prayer to be mindful of who am I, what's going on in me, and trusting that God can actually speak to us through the things that continue coming up. The church talks a lot about the Holy Spirit, but we really don't trust anything that comes from within us which is kind of how the Holy Spirit works. It's okay to sit with the thoughts we have and to be able to hold on to them and let them go. So we're going to have a time of silence. And what I invite you to do is to make sure that you are sitting in a way that you're comfortable, you feel grounded, maybe both feet on the floor, you're able to take some like deep cleansing breaths. And then what I want you to do with your hands is to physically hold them open to receive whatever it is to come. And when a thought comes, to grab hold of it, to acknowledge it for what it is, and then to let it go. And then see what comes in. When there's another thought, to grab hold onto it, to acknowledge it, and to let it go. And I want to encourage you that in that surrender, kind of talking about what we were talking about in prayer, to be letting it go to God. 
that ultimately, if there's a God, if God exists, God is the one at which I would want to surrender these things to anyway. So when I let go of this anxiety, this thought, this idea, I'm surrendering it to God. Would you join me in prayer? God, I pray that we would see what is rattling around in us. God, we would grab hold of it. We would acknowledge it. God, we would let it go to you. God, I thank you that you are present to our concerns, our thoughts, our schedules, our anxieties. God, I thank you that we can release those to you. It's in your name we pray. Amen.